Good morning, everyone. What a privilege to be here in God's house and worship together. And we continue our worship together by reading from uh, the passage of Scripture this morning, which is in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 5. Paul is writing here about his ministry, the ministry of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 4, 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure, it's in jars of clay, to show the surprising power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body of death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe. And so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that his grace extends to more and more people, because it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Now let's continue on in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 at verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespass against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God, For our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God bless.
All right. Good morning, everybody. Uh, yeah, again, I'll just echo what's already been said. Uh, thank you for all those who planned, who helped set up, who manned a booth yesterday, uh, who was here just rubbing shoulders with neighbors, or those of you who are home, maybe at home praying for this event. Thank you. Uh, it was a joy. It was a blessing uh, to uh, serve and have fun alongside of you guys. And uh, I, I think genuinely it was a blessing, or at least we pray it was a blessing to our community. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that uh, through those efforts, uh, we helped um, exalt the reputation of Jesus Christ, which is part of what our, our mission and our purpose here is. So thank you again. It was a joy and a lot of fun uh, to be with you, even if my, my shoulder is a little sore from uh, that uh, fast-pitch radar gun that uh, I had to keep trying to hold on to my... Well, anyway, so... Uh, okay, this morning, uh, we are, we're looking at this great text, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, a little bit in chapter 5. Uh, if I could have, we would have done all of chapter 4 and all of chapter 5, but we would have been here well into the start of the Eagles game, and that's not good. I know for, well, depends who you ask, I guess. But anyway, uh, we're going to look at these, these sections, and we're going to do it basically asking one very simple question. Simple question is this, why church? Hey, it's a question that uh, probably annually we ask Pretty much on this Sunday, right? The Sunday where, yeah, all the fall ministries are, are kind of kicking back off. We're getting back into the fall responsibilities, fall routines, and everything like that. And, and so we ask that question every year just so we can make sure we understand, it. yeah, why are we doing this again? Why church? Okay. Always good for us to regularly make sure we understand why it is we do what we do. Uh, not just us, but I'm asking the question even just broader, broad, more broadly, um, you know, I imagine in a post-COVID world, just like there are plenty of businesses out there asking a similar question, okay, why do we need all this office space when we've learned that we can work more efficiently and effectively from home a little bit? I know there are a lot of people in a post-COVID world who are asking the question, okay, yeah, why do I need to be a part of a of a church, church family? Uh, again, because I can... I can get maybe a little bit better worship music, you know, my Spotify playlist, rock out to that while I'm in my car or wherever I am. I can definitely get better preaching uh, from my list of, uh, uh, you know, excellent preachers that I like to pull from, and I can listen to them any day, any time of the day. Or maybe you're at home and you found us online and you're thinking, hey, I can sit in the comfort of my home with or without pants with a cup of coffee and my Maria's donut, and I can get the same things. Okay, so why do I, again, the same question you might be wondering, anybody might be wondering, why Why do I need to be a part of church family? Like, why do this? Or if we even broaden that question out, certainly there's plenty of people in the broader culture who, if they're remotely thinking about church, they're thinking, okay, in this hectic, fast-paced, non-stop life, Suburban American 2022, like, why? <laughs> why in the world would I consider being a part of a church? Why, if I have an ounce of free time, wouldn't I, you know, be out in the golf course or prepping the ribs for the Eagles game or just kind of sleeping in and enjoying the day, okay? Right, simple question. And, and again, it's a question that all of us, if you don't know what you're doing here, why you're doing here, I, I don't know, why are you here, right? So that's the question. We want to make sure we understand, very simply, why church? And... Uh, you know, here's the thing. We could answer that question in a myriad of ways. I, you could argue that the whole New Testament, from one angle, is written to, in part, address that question. What is the business in, of the church? Why church? Okay, so we're narrowing it down. We're just going to look at one particular answer that I think comes f through loud and clear in this text. And I will say that I think it's one answer that 
Uh, maybe also connects with some of the stuff we were talking about throughout the summer. Uh, if you were with us over the summer, uh, we were looking at some challenging questions or um, issues or obstacles that pe- people have in relation to Christ or entrusting their life to Christ. And as we were working through that, we talked about this last week, there's kind of like this underlying current underneath all these questions where, you know, in our broader culture, we're living in a day and age where all all restraints on the individual self are being cast off, right? And when we come to figure out who we are and what our life should be all about, right, the name of the game is you live freely and authentically as yourself. You don't conform yourself to any external uh, custom or expectation or moral principle or whatever, right? You are free to make those decisions on your own. Okay, so that's one current. And then the other thing that we talked about how it seems like as the whole world is just kind of collapsing in on the individual self, we're starting to see that that is a pretty heavy weight. And there's maybe some cracks that are starting to come through where on the one hand, people, they still have this drive for a life that is meaningful and rich and satisfying. Okay, but at the same time, the name of the game is now, okay, you're on your own to figure that out. Right, is you don't conform to anything anymore, right? It's up to you to figure out who you are. It's up to you to figure out what kind of life is going to be meaningful and satisfying to you. And it's up to you to figure out the pathway to attain that meaningful, satisfying life. And so that's just a lot of pressure. And we're starting to see a variety of cracks. We talked about this last week. All to say, I think Paul's answer, I think it also speaks kind of powerfully to that longing and to that pressure that our culture is feeling, or that we sometimes feel as well too, Okay. All to say, we're going through the passage to answer that very simple question. All right, so let's dive into it. Let's talk our way through. Again, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, this is written, uh, as Corey mentioned, from the Apostle Paul uh, to the church in Corinth. All right, and, and he starts off uh, by reminding them, hey, it's not us that we're proclaiming to you, but it's Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Okay, and right out of the bay, right out of the gate, that one line, don't just gloss over that, that little line, we're proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord, that would have been deeply, uh, maybe, maybe offensive is not the term, but deeply controversial, or deeply politically charged, or would have got Paul in a whole lot of trouble in ancient Rome, right? Because in all the cities in Rome, there was only one Lord, that was Caesar, right? The Evangelion, the gospel of the Roman Empire, was Caesar Icurius. Caesar is Lord, right? Caesar is the one who, through his might and his strength, establishes your life and defends your life. He is the only one worthy of proclaiming lordship to and kingship, right? Uh, and so Paul, he bore the brunt of that. Okay, but for Paul, something really dynamic has happened in Paul's, Paul's life, right? If you've grown up in the church or whatever, if you know the story of Paul, Paul was an elite, part of the elite class in Roman society. Uh, He was also Jewish, and he was elite in Jewish culture. He was a part of the religious establishment. He was a Pharisee. And Paul also uh, considered the church or these new Christians to be cancerous to society or a threat to his faith, his way of life, the Jewish way of life and all that. And so, right, he spent the early part of his adult life hunting down these Christians, rooting them out, and persecuting them, killing them, getting rid of them by any means he could. And then one day he's on this road and he's traveling to Damascus to do just that, to find out some Christians. And he has this physical, 
face-to-face encounter with Jesus Christ. Who says, Saul, that was his name at the time, he says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And this just, <laughs> like, it lays Paul out. I mean, quite literally, and then he becomes blind. But, it, like, it totally changes his whole perspective on life in the world because, see, Paul to that point was convinced that uh, this Jesus was rotting in a grave somewhere because he had been strung up on a cross on a hill on the outskirts of Jerusalem. And so now he's having this face-to-face, bodily, personal interaction with this risen Jesus, and it totally changes his whole perspective on this, who Jesus is, it totally changes his whole perspective on who God is and what God is up to. It changes his whole perspective on life and the world. And now for Paul, like it totally reorients his life such that for Paul, the only Lord, the only king now who has this power over our deepest enemy of death and can establish your life and defend it ultimately from that enemy is Jesus. And so this is why Paul is launching it. Okay, remember, we're not proclaiming ourselves here to you. We're proclaiming this new wild gospel that Jesus is curious, that Jesus is Lord. And God who said, let light shine out of darkness. That's a reference to the creation narrative. Let God... Let light shine out of darkness. Has caused light to shine in our hearts and has given to us the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Right? So that's how he opens. Okay, but then he, he takes it just a little bit, or then he keeps going and he says, okay, but we have this treasure in these clay jars, jars of clay. Uh, Corey in her, in her heyday must have rocked out to the band Jars of Clay, if you can imagine that, because she came up to me yesterday when we were on the, on the grill and said, hey, I'm reading this passage. Did you know the band Jars of Clay? <laughs> right? I said, yeah, I did. I actually, uh, when I was at Wheaton College, they came and I got to work security for them. And after they left, I got to go into the dressing room and take all their bags of potato chips. It was great. So I, I love Jars of Clay. But anyway, so Paul's saying, we have this, we have this great treasure. The, the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ illuminating our heart and our life. We have this treasure, though, in these jar clays. Clays of, jars of clay. Thank you. Right. And if you think about these clay jars, what, what, what is the deal with clay jars, right? There's something that if you drop, they're going to shatter. Or if you apply pressure on them, they break and they crumble. Right. And that's Paul's point here, that we have this treasure in these kind of weak and fragile vessels. Okay, part of what Paul's doing here is, first of all, he's actually giving explanation for his life and ministry. Because if you would have looked at Paul's life and ministry at that time, he was, there's nothing glamorous about it. There's no more elite status. There's no more wealth, glory, worldly glory. And not only that, but uh, as Paul is now planting churches instead of persecuting them, he's now come into the bullseye or the target of other people who want to get rid of the church, right? So he's being persecuted and he's being oppressed and he's writing some of his letters from prison after suffering beatings and whatnot. And the thing is, right, in that ancient world, just like in today's world, the people that you follow or that you listen to or you conform your life to or whatever are people of standing, you know, dynamic, flashy, you know, celebrity type people or whatever. And so maybe there's some in the church and they're starting to ask this question, okay, Paul, yeah, remind me again why we're listening to you and going at church the way you're writing to us and telling us, you know, because we're looking at your life and it 
looking a little shabby and a life that I'm not too interested, writing from prison and all that stuff. Okay, and so partly in defense of that, Paul's saying, yeah, okay, this is what Jesus is doing. He has deposited this rich treasure in these clay vessels, these humble, weak vessels that can still shatter and break. The other thing that he's doing is he's, he's reminding them, look, this is how the king is working. And this is how the kingdom of Jesus is advancing throughout the world, right? It's not through flashy, dynamic, self-exalting celebrities, right? But it's, it's going out through weak and humble and crackable vessels, right? And so he's saying to them, right, this is why we are hard-pressed, but we're not crushed, or we're persecuted, but we're not yet neglected and forsaken, or we're struck down, but we're not destroyed, right? And then he goes on to say this, but look, do you see what's happening? Like he says, this is partly to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And look, there's evidence of that. Look, you, you guys are living evidence of this. I'm carrying around in my body the death of Jesus, through persecution and evil and all this. And look what's happening. Life is at work in you. Look what's happening now all throughout the Roman Empire. There are groups of people who are finding new life and joy and excitement in this Jesus and who are gathering together in these communities of faith to worship and to celebrate and to testify to him, right? So do you see, this is kind of how the kingdom is going forth. Or in other words, Paul saying, Look, the kingdom advances now just like it did at the very beginning. Right? Remember, how did the kingdom of Jesus explode onto the scene? It was not through this king seizing power and celebrity status or something. It was through him being crushed by laying down his life in this world-shaking display of sacrificial love being strung up on a cross. Like, that was the greatest advancement of the kingdom. And what Paul is saying to the church here and all of the other letters, I think just about all the other letters, that that's the way the kingdom continues. That as these frail, weak, humble vessels crack and break, God is using that to cause life to stir. And so then he goes on to say in verse 13, actually what he does is he quotes a psalm. It actually coincidentally happens to be the psalm that we sang from today, Psalm 116, uh, which is the psalmist in his own experience of trial and hardship and struggle uh, saying, yeah, but God has been faithful to me and he's preserved my life and he has allowed me to walk in the land of the living. And so what's happening is his, even in the midst of trial and struggle, like his life is overflowing with thankfulness, with worship, and with testimony to God's goodness. And Paul's saying the same thing. This is essentially what's happening in my life, that even though I'm, I'm struggling, even though I'm experiencing trial and tribulation, yet, because of what Christ is doing, because of his faithfulness to me, I can't help but be thankful. I can't help but respond in praise and in giving testi- testimony or testifying to this. You know, which, by the way, don't um, don't just blow. That's a, that's a significant point, right? Like you notice that for Paul, his joy, his thankfulness, uh, his whole like now motive in life—it's not in any way contingent upon his circumstances or situations, 
right? Which is counterproductive to every way we tend to think about how we experience joy and happiness. We tend to think joy and happiness are directly related to our circumstances and our situation. And Paul's saying, ah, I have found a joy, I found a thankfulness, I found a reason to give praise and to give testimony that is not contingent upon my physical circumstances, but it's contingent instead on what God is doing in and through me. Right. So this is Paul in a time of trial, in a time of stress and struggle, moving through the good news of the person of Jesus to a life of thankfulness, praise, and testimony. Uh, and hope. That's where he goes next. And he starts to say that we are convinced of this, that this God who raised Jesus will raise us also with him and present us all together in his presence. In other words, that great thing that God did in delivering Jesus from the grips and the power of death, he's going to do that same thing in us. And so that Paul can now say with confidence that this light momentary affliction is achieving for us a weight of glory beyond all comparison. Uh, as we've already mentioned, as we have represented here. It's the oh, start of the Eagles season uh, today, right? And if, if you're remotely an Eagles fan or whatever, you've been following the preseason, whatever, there's a little bit of a buzz about the team, right? They did, they got some good acquisitions over the preseason. Uh, they, you know, it's, a, it's another year with the new coach and whatever. So there's, there's some expectation. There's actual some, actually some hope that this team might make a run in the playoffs. And, and who knows what? Okay, we're not there yet. Uh, we're still, we, we haven't even seen hardly anything yet. The game hasn't even started. But that little glimmer of hope, like, casts its weight over the beginning as such that we come into this game with a little bit of excitement, enthusiasm. Like, it's totally different from going into a season where, you know, uh, these poor losers don't have a chance in the world, and this isn't going anywhere. We're just watching it because we're, that's what you do as a Philly fan. You struggle through the woes of, right? Simple point. Hope has that power, right? And Paul, who's living under the weight, Rome, weight of persecution, whatever, like that, he's saying, like this weight of glory that is yet to come outweighs all else right now, <laughs> right? So that, with God's faithfulness and his power at work, is just producing joy, genuine joy, worship, uh, and, and testimony, okay? So that's what God is doing in Paul's life, right? And then he kind of zooms out a little bit. Uh, if we would have read, kept reading uh, in chapter 5, he would have elaborated a little bit more on that hope that is carrying us through. And he comes up uh, to the verses right before uh, verse 16 where we picked it up. And he's saying, look, this love of Jesus, it compels us and it controls us. Such that we're convinced of this, that he, that one died for all. And we're convinced that he died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And he goes on taking it where we, where we pick it up in chapter 5. So from now on, we, we regard no one and nothing just according to the flesh anymore. Uh, and, and to make it sure, I think what, Paul, what, what he's saying there is that, look, something has happened in the world such that everything has changed. <laughs> uh, we had Grace Group at our house on, on Wednesday night. Nate and Katie were there uh, with little Lucia. <laughs> and I was in the living room. I was just happened to be looking over them, sitting at the table. I was like, oh, man, their lives have just totally changed, right? They, they had, you know, two younger ones or whatever. But you could just tell that sleep for them was a thing of the past. <laughs> 
and you can tell that there was just an extra new layer of craziness going on in the house. You could just see, right? This, this, their life had just now been forever. I think somebody explained it to us when Kate was, was being born, when our third kid was, was coming. Somebody said, yeah, you know, that, that going from transition from two to three kids, it's like, imagine you're, you're drowning and someone hands you a kid, <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't know. But it's that, and then it's all the excitement, and it's all the, the wildness of this new life that's coming in, right? But whatever it is, it's like, okay, well, life previously will never again be the same. <laughs> or you imagine, like, uh, you, you take a new job in a new location, and just life is now totally different. What you do, who you're rubbing shoulders with, where you live, like, all this is just brand new. It's just different. It's never going to be the same quite like the way it was. Okay, for Paul... If the resurrection of Jesus is true, if that wasn't just an apparition that he met on the road to Damascus, but he had an encounter with the risen Jesus, I mean, that changes everything. If the power of death has been defeated and somebody has come walking out of the tomb because of the power of God's spirit, that, that changes everything, right? And so Paul is saying, look, we, we no longer regard anybody, you know, just according to the flesh, or we no longer look at life in this way. And then he goes, and he continues that thought, and he says, look, if anybody is in Christ, uh, my English Standard Version says, he is a new creation. I don't know why it does that, because in the Greek, that, that he is is not there. In the original uh, manuscripts, it simply was, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. <laughs> if anyone is in Christ, boom, new creation, right, is breaking in. Or if anyone is in Christ, if anybody is being united to Jesus by his spirit and is begin to, re to enjoy now new life and light in the present, okay, what that means is that that glorious future that is out there is breaking into the here and now. And resurrection life and new creation is starting to burst onto the scene right here and right now. And all this, says Paul, is from God, who is reconciling the world to himself. And the word reconciliation, that's a big word in the Bible. Again, if you've grown up in the church or, you know, if you haven't, sort of the, the storyline of the Bible is, you know, God brings light and life into the world. But the tragedy is, is that God's people, they turn their back on him and they move out in life on their own terms, and they begin to align themselves with the darkness and with the powers of death. We call it sin, right? And that sin just has torn at all these relationships. It's created this barrier between us and our creator, right? It tears at the relationship between Adam and Eve, right, with, with one another. It tears at the relationship with the creation that we were meant to enjoy, right? And so now everywhere throughout creation, the, the scenes are just fraying apart. Okay, but for Paul, what is God doing? God is in the world reconciling all things back to himself, right? He is reconciling all things back in relationship with himself, all things back in relationship with one, all things back in relationship uh, with his creation, his beloved creation that has suffered under the weight of corruption and decay for so long. God is starting to bring in this glorious future into the present and is reconciling. I love that word, bringing back together these things that were tore apart and never were to be torn apart. Okay, so follow the, the passage. You get a little bit of what God is doing in Paul's life that leads to this joy. You get what God is doing in his creation. And then here's the last part, what God is doing in and through the church. 
Did you pick it up? God is in the world, reconciling all things to himself, and he is committed to us the ongoing ministry of reconciliation. Uh, where, where is it? Oh, sorry. <laughs> all this from God, who, rec- who through Christ reconciled us to himself and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Okay, and I'm I'm emphasizing that plural language there, (laughs) all the us, 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 we, right? Because it's not a ministry of reconciliation that's just committed to you individually. It's a ministry of reconciliation that's committed to us. It's a message of reconciliation that is committed to us together. It is the role of ambassadorship that is committed to us together, right? It's committed to the church, gathered, united, and sent in mission, right? So together, right, we are called to participate in that ministry of reconciliation. Together, you're called to testify, in our, in our worship, in our proclamation of the word, in our public testimony, we are called to testify together to this work of reconciliation. We are called to take together the gifts of God's spirit, the passions, the abilities that his spirit entrusts to us. We're called to take that together and serve one another, to serve our neighbors, to serve our communities and participate in that reconciling work. We're called together to go out and be the embodiment somehow of Christ's love and to pursue reconciliation and forgiveness and restoration with friends, families, neighbors, community, not holding their trespasses against them the way Christ doesn't hold yours against you, but committing, but participating in his work of reconciliation. We are called dare I even say, to go out and be the embodiment of God's own faithfulness and righteousness to his creation and the promises that he made to his creation. I think that's part of what's in that last line, that he who knew no sin became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness or God's covenant faithfulness. That's what that term righteousness means. We might become the embodiment of God's covenant faithfulness together. And the simple point is, that's we activity. That's us activity. That's not you. In, well, I mean, you individually have a part in that, but it's not something that you can do solely on your own. You on your own are not the sum deposit of the gifts of the Spirit. You on your own could never be the perfect embodiment of God's love, his reconciling love through Christ. You on your, on your own could never stand up against the pressures, the trials, the persecution that's going to come. You on your own could never represent in some, right, the faithfulness and the righteousness of God. That's something that the community of faith, the church, does together, right? Which gets us to the simple answer to our question. (laughs) Why church? Well, it's because, one, God is on the scene doing something wild and new and exciting, bringing new life, resurrection, new creation, reconciliation. And he is committed the ministry, the ongoing ministry of reconciliation to us, the church. That's why we do what we do, because we have a job to do. 
It's not a job you can just do individually. It's a job that we do together. That's why church, because the church is called to pick up where Jesus left off and to continue that work of reconciliation, that work of restoration, that work of declaring this incredible news of new creation in a world that is drowning in darkness and death. And again, that's something that was entrusted to us together. So if you're here this morning by chance and you're curious about Christianity, wouldn't consider yourself yet someone who's entrusted their life to Jesus or a Christian or whatever, uh, but you're curious and you have questions, uh, two things I would say to you. One, hear the message of the king who says, first of all, be reconciled to God. Right? You have all these barriers in our lives, sin that keeps us from a fruitful relationship with our creator. But here's the great news that in love and mercy, Jesus entered into our condition. Didn't expect us to just liberate ourselves from our own condition and work our way back, but met us in our broken condition and in this wild display of sacrificial love, gave himself for your redemption and for your reconciliation with your creator. So hear that message and be reconciled to your creator. And then two... Uh, join this deeply meaningful, deeply rich and satisfying business of carrying on the ministry of Jesus, the business of the kingdom, this mission of reconciliation, right? In a indiv- hyper-individualistic world, you're always being taught that the life that is rich and meaningful and satisfying, yes, is lived in relationship with other people, but ultimately is your own life and is lived as you are a rugged individualist. Right Or in this world where all the constraints and everything else is being cast off and you're left with this pressure of having to figure out who you are and what the good life is. and how, Man, there is something incredibly liberating, deeply meaningful and satisfying and rich about not only being reconciled to your creator, but then participating in his mission of reconciliation. I genuinely believe that that is part of the good news, that you would be called and summoned and invited to the ongoing task. I was with a group of pastors this week. Sorry, probably too many stories. We're going over time. But I was with a group of pastors this week, and we were talking about that business of the mission that we're called to. And as part of that whole conversation, you know, somebody was sharing, you know, a very just simple gospel presentation that maybe you can take and teach to your churches. Um, And it was called Three Circles. First circle was a broken world, broken relationship. Basically, everything we talked about. Second circle is Jesus in his love coming and restoring. Uh, 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 no, 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 no. The first circle was a good, perfect creation. The second circle was how broken and frayed. The third circle was Jesus who came to restore that. And so you entrust your life to Jesus and you can have that restoration. All very good. But my pet peeve with that and with all sometimes uh, gospel presentations is that they stop there. And that is almost as if the sum total of the good news is that you individually can find forgiveness and new life, which is true. But you read the New Testament, you listen to how Paul is describing this, and you say, yeah, no, 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 it keeps going. <laughs> Part of the ongoing good news is that I am called to participate in this new kingdom mission. So I want a fourth circle where now these restored people are joining together and being sent out because that's part of the gospel message that needs to be declared, right? We're not just coming here to solely find new life in ourselves. We are, but then we're called to carry that new life out into a world that needs to see that and be part of Christ's reconciling work. And that is something deeply meaningful and exciting and fun, like yesterday was. <laughs> Even though my feet were killing me at the end of it and my shoulders killing me from that fast pitch, it was a lot of fun. 
And it was deeply satisfying. And I was looking forward to coming and worshiping with you all today. Right? And so for us as the church, if you haven't trusted your life to Christ, and you have, you're part of the church family, well, just remember, this is why we do what we do. We've got a job to do. A noble, great calling to live out together. We're called to be and do it with one another. The church gathered, church united, and the church sent. Right? Remember, you are part of that reconciling work. You are called to take your gifts and use it, not just hoard them. You are called to live sometimes the difficult life of sacrificial love, self-giving love to those who offend you and wound you. <laughs> All the more as we were you know, praying about, as Bob was praying, as we're moving into an electoral season where the divisions and the strife and the enmity that exists in culture is just on public display, right? Somehow the church is called to be this agent of reconciliation. Keep that in mind. And again, think about, you know, this is what we say each year around this time. You know, what does it mean to be a part of Grace Church? Well, it's three things. It comes part of the worship where we celebrate and we proclaim and we sit under the ministry of the word together. Uh, it's also to be a part of perhaps a ministry team where we are using our gifts and we are serving or participating in that mission of reconciliation. And it's also to get in a, you know, in, in a group where when the pressures come on us as clay jars and clay vessels and we feel that and we feel it breaking under the pressure, there's a group of people around us who know what we're dealing with, who know how to pray for us and know how to walk with us in and through that, right? And as you do that, as we do that together, as we go at that as a body of Christ, I'm pretty convinced that we too, like Paul and like the psalmist, will experience the goodness, the faithfulness of Christ in the land of the living, causing us to overflow with praise, with thankfulness, with joy, with hope, and with a word of testimony to a culture that needs it. Amen? Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.